Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Brian Dable and, and Saquon's comments after the game about basically Dable with the board out like he's Van Gundy in the 90s playoffs with the Knicks drawing up the wild card, you know, the wildcat plays. It just the I know this shouldn't have to be said because it seems obvious as a head coach. The presence of mind to not panic under a situation where you lose both of your quarterbacks and basically say, forget this playbook. This is what we have to do. Trust Saquon, figure it out. Daniel Jones, I guess, in there with the headset on. That was an unbelievable coaching job on the fly and an unbelievable execution job to really get to the Giants in a point where they weren't just handing the ball back and giving Chicago a chance to tie the game, Paul. You know, this is one of the reasons why a head coach should not double as the offensive coordinator because he gets to clear his mind out and isn't overwhelmed with having to have that stupid play sheet in front of him, and he's able to handle the big picture and then any emergency – that may pop up in a given situation. I, I applauded Dable's decision to allow Kafka to call the plays. I think it paid dividends yesterday, probably more than any other time so far this Such season. Such a good point, Paul. Okay? Such a good point, yeah. And may I add to you, what he did yesterday reminded me of what Steve Spagnolo used to do when he was the Giants' defensive coordinator back in his first uh, tenure with the Giants. Spags would go over to his, his pass rushing specialists, the Tucks and the Yominuras and the Strayans and the Pierces and, you know, all the, the leaders on the defense. And there were many times where he would go over to the bench and literally take his finger and draw up a play in the dirt. Swear to God, I saw it. Unreal. And, and that's kind of – Dable kind of gave me a throwback to Spags when right. he grabbed the grease board. Forget about great. the computerized stuff. Okay, we don't need Madden and Xbox and gadgets. We're playing street ball, baby. I could tell you, Paul, there was a moment I'm watching the game. My dad, my sister, my father-in-law, and my father's telling me to calm down as I'm freaking out. Basically, Daniel Jones is out there stinting at wide receiver. and I'm trying to grasp what's going on on TV. He's telling me to calm down. And that was the calming influence was Brian Dable was so calm in that moment. It was unbelievable. And it worked now towards the negatives. This is a laundry list of injuries, and clearly there were inactives that were crucially important. We keep saying every week, who the heck knows with Kadarius Tony and Wandell Robinson, and the more you watch these wide receivers play, the more you say they need these guys more than ever, just even for some yards after the catch factor here with catches. But those guys don't play. You're hoping you get them back at some point. Leonard Williams didn't end up playing. Who knows? Now it's two weeks here. I'm assuming he's going to be on the flight to London. But the guys in-game that get hurt, 
You mentioned Evan Neal with the neck. That's an important injury. We'll see. It felt like postgame maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought it could be. Uh, clearly, guys like Aaron Robinson, you felt bad for, comes back, hurts his knee. Julian Love with a concussion. Uh, and then the quarterbacks as well. And I, I know I'm not naming everybody. Two things. Number one, Tyrod Taylor. You hate to see a guy get dinged like that with a concussion. But, Paul, I have to be honest with you. He did a nice job coming in, rolls out, and I know a lot of what he does is mobile, and that works with the Daniel Jones offense. You got to be smarter than going head-on here, even while getting a first down when your quarterback's down. I'm sorry. That was a completely preventable situation and injury. I know Tyrod Taylor's trying to make a play, and I appreciate him for that. It's bringing way more to the table than Mike Lennon was, but you have to know your place as a backup quarterback and know – I can't turn the ball over, number one. Number two, I can't go out there and put myself in a spot where I'm getting hurt and putting the team in a situation like that. The Tyrod Taylor injury bothered me yesterday, Paul. Yeah, he was over-aggressive. He was over-eager. He was doing everything he could to make a play, and you're right. He's got to be more mindful of that. It was not the smartest play, even though it's admirable and the effort is certainly something that you'd like to see. Uh, You know, he takes the helmet-to-helmet hit. I'll be frank with you. I wasn't real happy to see him get the second hit as the ball popped free after the helmet to helmet. Then it was Brisker who came in from behind and actually gives him like a a fist or a forearm to the back of the head and buries him into the ground. Oh, look, Uh, uh, it's not an excuse of the way the Bears, you know, hit on that play. There's no doubt about it. Like, my point was you go feet first like that once you get the first. Yeah. And if they take a shot at you, then I can't kill you on it. He's diving right. head first, Paul. With the quarterback already down, you can't be doing that. No, no, I, I that. totally totally agree with the point, Sean. There's no question. I agree with the point. Uh, I was just really surprised, especially in light of how the quarterbacks uh, have been in the headlines lately because of various injuries and hits. I was just really surprised after the Bears pummeled Tyrod Taylor on that play, not once but twice. Uh, nobody said anything about it officiating-wise. Yeah, and and now for Daniel Jones. And we'll get to the defense, and Dexter Lawrence deserves basically a badge of honor. So here's my my deal with Daniel Jones. You know this has been a very pro-Daniel Jones podcast. And any time I've had a debate over the last year with anybody who wants to tell me Daniel Jones is not a franchise quarterback, and they tell me why, they never bring up the big issue. And to me, any reason I would shy away from paying Daniel Jones any kind of money to be the franchise quarterback has always been about his health. We probably took Eli Manning for granted that he was out there every given game. But even when Eli Manning was battling injuries, and you remember Paul in 2007 when he has the shoulder injury and Chris Mortensen's reporting he's going to be gone. Oh, guess what? Eli Manning plays through it, and he plays well. How many times did he take beatings, and he never said a word, and he played through injuries? I've seen Daniel Jones now in his career attempt to play through injuries, and this is what's going to concern me potentially about London. And when he doesn't have his legs, he's not the same quarterback, and he is really ineffective where Eli had that ability to be effective. Daniel Jones's constant injuries drive me nuts. I know teams deal with the quarterback injuries all around the league, and we were spoiled with Eli Manning. But this, this what happened yesterday, the good of Daniel Jones managing that game perfectly, not turning it over, running those in twice. But to get hurt again, it just drives you nuts as a Giant fan. How many times do we have to watch this guy get hurt? No, I understand. Uh, this one was another fluke injury. It was on the sack by Brisker, yep. uh, who basically stepped on Jones's left ankle when he brought him down. And, and that's, where, that's where he got hurt. Uh, he stayed in for the next two plays, handoff to Barkley, uh, and then Gano kicks the field goal. And that was uh, 
in the third quarter with about two minutes or so to go. Um, you know, the thing that I'll say about this, I- I've always believed that the Giants uh, were hopeful and optimistic of Jones's performance enough that he would get a new deal. I think his play over the first four weeks has strongly trended in that direction. Now, it's my belief that the Giants, by the middle of this season, would actually, if they saw enough of Jones, would be willing to actually talk to him about a modest deal. And the injury factor works in their favor because I believe that Daniel Jones may want to bet on himself and be willing to take a David Carr type of deal, okay, what he took with uh, or Derek Carr kind of deal with the Raiders, where it wouldn't max out. And it wouldn't be maybe a really long-term deal, but maybe a oh. shorter-term deal for a little bit less of money because he knows he's been hurt a lot. He knows he's missed a lot of games. And you know bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. And I and I think it's a problem. You're not wrong, Paul. And and to that point, who's given Daniel Jones a big deal? Like in all seriousness, who's given Daniel Jones a big deal? At this point, well, what that's, you've why, seen, I, that's why yeah. I think a, a modest deal, even if it's a three-year deal with a fourth-year option with, with, with some really sweet incentives built in, I, I, I don't think Daniel Jones is foolish enough to pass on a deal like that, and I think it actually will work well for both sides because Jones would get his extension and the Giants may actually get away a little cheaper yeah. based on the performance of the player. And obviously, we don't know where this stands right now. It felt positive to a, to an extent. I know Ian Rappaport had that report on Monday morning, too, that, you know, he's being listed as day-to-day. The problem here, the Giants keep listing guys day-to-day, and it feels like it's weeks before right. you see him. Right. Dave on Thibodeau, yeah. Wondell Robinson, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Dr. So, Dave loves day-to-day. That's his right. favorite prognosis. And Daniel Jones pleading to go back in. The fact that they allowed him on the field even after the Tyrod injury, and I know a lot of had to do with communication, tells me, you can't think it's worst case scenario clearly, yeah. otherwise you're not letting him on the field. But, you know, let's wait and see here because if Daniel Jones ends up missing a couple weeks again and then you get to the point where he's playing 14 games in a season, you know, you just you got to play games. And on top of that, if he does play this week, and I know this is a mile down the road here, we're six days away from it, how effective can you be without your full bootleg Rolodex? But I guess also that would require wide receivers getting open.